1: what I look, when I look back at it now, it's like, you have no choice, but you go into survival mode and you go into pure survival mode of, okay, things will get better. Things will get better. And I think I shared with you, faith was one of those things that I had. Um, you know, it was, uh, you know, from, from evangelical Christians that were reaching out to the Hare Krishna temple that was like in our area. I mean, whatever you can, um, kind of grapple onto, uh, to say, you know what, this is going to be okay and that was this internal um, innate motivation that I had, uh, for my younger brother and I, because I literally became the head of the household. Um, my father fell into a depression and, um, couldn't take care of the family. I was at that point, you know, at 17 working three jobs just to support everybody, um, and try to take care of me. And so what I thought and what I valued and what I prioritized was, okay, success, success, success. So when I'm, you know, when I was, hustling at at 17 years old, trying to get it all done, um, myself took a backseat for about a decade, which then entering my 20s, I wanted to create a family that I'd lost.
0: Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify.
1: Oh, I'm super excited to be here, Shri. Yeah,
0: well, I am really thrilled to have you here. I was introduced to you by way of your publicist and uh, was really intrigued right when I found out a little bit about your story and read a bit about what you did. But before we get into all of that, uh, I yeah. will start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living and what impact did what they did for a living end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. That's such a great question. Um, so, uh, my parents were, were actually immigrants. Um, and you know, I was, I was born and raised in, in the U S in Chicago and they uh, came, my, my dad was, um, he was in, he was an entrepreneur. And so he left India at an early age and, um, ended up traveling to Nepal and, uh, opened up a bar <laughs> in Nepal. So this has to go back one more generation because my grandfather was the ambassador to UNICEF and, um, he was very diplomatic. And, uh, when he passed away, uh, my grandfather had been to about, oh gosh, like over 30 countries spoke 24 different languages, um, only came to India, um, kind of like during the, the winter months months. And so when he passed, he left all of this land for, um, six, uh, you know, brothers and sisters where they only saw their father once a year. Uh, and that was for like a month at a time. And so when he passed, my father was probably one of the only entrepreneurially spirited ones out of the family decided not to take any of the inheritance. Um, and kind of charted out on his own. Uh, and, and so he landed up in Nepal first. Um, and then by way of a pen pal, if you can recall uh, pen pals and what those were basically, um, he met uh, one of his hippie friends who was from Madison, Wisconsin. And um, and by way of writing letters to each other, uh, my father ended up meeting with uh, with her and her name was fancy. And that's how he came to, uh, to the U S and was, uh, and then got into real estate and other types of investments. But, um, he was basically a real estate developer. And my mom, on the other hand, she was from the Philippines and she was very, you know, much in a traditional career. She had a background in accounting and was an accountant, um, basically when she, uh, ended up in the U S. So there you go.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. So many questions just from that. Uh, yeah, yeah. what impact did the way that your parents raised your, your father in particular, uh, what impact did the relationship that he had with his father being that, you know, he was somebody they only seed once a year have on the way that you guys had your relationship when you were growing up?
2: Yeah, that's such
1: a great question. You know, I think that because everyone was scared of my grandfather, he was, he was almost, um, I don't know if you can picture Ed McMahon, but he literally looked like Ed McMahon. He had like blue eyes, very, very light, fair skin. He he looked like he was um, German and he spent a lot of time in Germany and Russia and Afghanistan. And so I think that with because my dad was not close with my grandfather at all, but they respected him. A boatload in in tons because my grandfather um uh, took photos with Khrushchev and JFK. You know, my grandfather came to the US. I mean, um, had all of these dignitaries that um, you know, then later in photos and things like that, uh my aunts and uncles, my dad's brothers and sisters would actually, you know, tend to hear these stories about him. Um And, you know, that really kind of put the relationship of my father and my two younger brothers and I we were very close um, and so that was kind of the opposite of what my my dad experienced with his father and actually it, it's so interesting because I, I don't even think knowing you know human psychology and, and behavior at dynamics I don't even think I've made that connection until you just asked me that question right now so that's a it's a very it's a, it's a very uh, informative question thank you for asking
0: I've been known to do that to people from time to time <laughs> uh, you know the uh, thing that that struck me, you mentioned that your dad was from India, your mom was from the Philippines. Uh, what aspects of each culture were integrated into the way that you were raised and how did that affect you later on in your life?
1: Oh yes another another gem. So growing up in the melting pot of Chicago and I, I grew up literally in the city. So I'm a i am I am definitely a city girl and I grew up there for uh, the first quarter of my life. Um so my father, uh, you know, was, was raised Hindu and he was Punjabi and, and, um, and actually Sikh. So they would go to, when they were growing up, they would go to the Gurdwara, the Sikh temple, and they would also go to the Hindu temple. Um, on my mom's side, you know, she was Roman Catholic, born and raised. Everyone was, you know, um, staunch Catholics. And so it was very interesting growing up because my father had this very spiritual view Yes. Yeah and, um, raising the three of us in a melting pot of Chicago, where all three of us, we looked, we were very mixed looking. And so we, we, we were very culturally, uh, ambiguous. Um, and so people would think that we were Latin or Latino or, you know, some sort of Asian mixed, um, or even mulatto mixture Like people wouldn't even know what we were, but, um, they did their very, very best when we were very young to put us into, all sorts of things so we were just like a hodgepodge of going uh from different uh piano lessons to filipino cultural um programs on the weekends we actually the three of us actually danced in a filipino dance troupe and then when i got older um we would, uh, with my father, we would do the, you know, we would do the temple, um, every Tuesday and then Sundays we would alternate between the Gurdwara and church. So very conflicting dogmas, by the way. Um, so that would be, that that was definitely, uh, interesting, but it, it informed our perspective or, or, and I'm speaking on behalf of myself, but it informed my perspective of a very global view of, Oh, wow. You know, at a very early age, realizing that, you know, these dogmas are are kind of, you know, similar in a sense of, you know, teaching, um, you know, morals and ethics and codes and all of these things that, um, uh, that are very uh, collective and, um, inclusive and so it was interesting that uh, we had that at such an early age to be open to you know um, not only r- the different religions that we were exposed to but also um, culturally our family is very mixed and so um, a lot of my cousins are, are also half Filipino and half something and same thing um, on some of my father's side so it was it, it was very much a, a mixture of that and, and on my father's side because my dad loved to cook um, we were exposed to Indian food and Indian cooking, which is why I cook more Indian food now than I do. Um, I don't know how to cook much Filipino food because we were, we were, uh, tantalized by my father's chef skills at a very early age, um, as well as Indian dancing. And so I was in high school, part of, a. um, so dance has always been part of my life, kind of, uh, growing up from, uh, our Filipino dance troupe when we were, um, in kind of like the primary years of schooling and education. And then when I get, got into high school, it was more so, uh, Indian classical dance and, um, Bhangra, um, and joined all of the teams and things like that. And, and, uh, yeah, and been choreographing things, um, even up until my, my wedding at Burning Man last year, which is a different story altogether. Oh,
0: well, there's no way I'm going to let you off the
1: (laughs) hook after you (laughs) drop that.
0: But before we do that, uh, I'm curious as an adult, does faith play a role in your life and how has your, you know, bringing upbringing with multiple faiths played, uh, impacted you today? And has your thoughts on, have your thoughts on faith changed with age?
1: Hmm. You know, it's, uh, I don't, pers- I don't, uh, prescribe to any dogma. And, um, I think that, you know, uh, faith really comes from you. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, say my religion is love and, um, uh, and being able to, you know, to serve love and, and be love. And, uh, and so that's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the ways that I actually, um, kind of, uh, live my life now, uh, with my, with my partner. But I think that it had many seasons and it had many, uh, different, um, ways that it influenced my life in the different aspects of adversity that I, um, I, that I chartered. And so for a while, faith was the one thing that I was, uh, holding to because the, it was the only thing that, that I had, uh, and I know we're going to go into this, but, um, because most of my, my early years, uh, when, when I actually went into the adversities of, of losing my, my, um, my mother uh, at, at 16 and then losing my brother at 17 and, and losing my father at 19. Um, in those tumultuous times, faith played a, a very heavy role, uh, because, um, you know, we were already kind of going to all of these different, uh, you know, re- religious things kind of as tradition. And so uh, I think for the longest time, we still, uh, uh, my, my brother and I, um, we still kind of did a lot of those rituals to keep our family uh, rituals alive because uh, we had been through such a a very, uh, you know, challenging and uh, heartfelt time uh, in, in our, you know, in our adolescence. And so now it's, it's, it, now it's, um, it's really about, you know, like I said before, it's it, it's it's formed its way into uh love and uh I think that's that's what we need more of now.
0: Mm. When you're growing up, uh given that your father had sort of had this, you know, legacy that followed him from your grandfather, what was the kind of career advice that you and your brothers were given?
1: Mm, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, it was, you could only pick four, you know, four, four careers. And it was doctor, dentist, lawyer, engineer. Um, (laughs) and it was, uh, you know, it was very much around, um, you know, uh, accolades, academics, achievement, overachievement, and, you know, how much, uh, you can brag from one, one person or, or one, one family to the next, you know, my, my father had a lot of pride coming into the U S um, because it wasn't that, um, you know, uh, you know, he wasn't coming with a, a traditional story of $5 in his pocket. Uh, you know, like I said, he, he started his entrepreneurial journey in, in Nepal and he was very eager to take risks. And, um, you know, he was, he was good with, with those types of things, given that, uh, you know, a lot of his, his own inferences were from my grandfather. Um, but that put so much pressure on, on, uh, us definitely, uh, growing up and, and not to mention, you know, the same thing on my mom's, on my mom's side, everyone on my mother's side was a pageant queen. So my mother was a pageant queen. My grandmother was a pageant queen. Um, all of my aunts were pageant queens. And my, even my, my great-grandmother was still competing uh, at the age of 70 in the U.S. <laughs> so, um, so both combined had a lot of pressure to... Uh, be perfect, you know, have the straight A's, get the first prize, you know, trophy in violin lessons, piano lessons, flute lessons, whatever lessons, dance lessons, um, and, and really to strive for being the best. And so that was my programming, um, you know, very, very early on.
0: So two questions come from this. Um, did you feel a sense of obligation to fulfill the things that your parents wanted as a result of this programming after they were gone?
1: Oh, a thousand percent. I don't, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I talk about this a lot when I'm, when I'm up on stages, but it's, it was kind of the the ghost that was, you know, of their, of, of their spirit that were, that were kind of haunting me or, or, or they're basically on my shoulder. It was that chip that I carried on my shoulder to, um, not let them down because that was, it, it was such deep ingrained, rooted programming, um, of, you know, the, you know, carry on the legacy, carry on the legacy of your grandfather. Um, you know, the, the idea of perfection was so heavily rooted that I not, not only became a dentist, but I became, you know, a cosmetic dentist, you know, that was the first, you know, a a part in my, my early years of, of my career, and, um, you know, t- transcended, you know, all realms of, of what traditional success would actually look like, uh, having, you know, that sort of image in, in the back of my head for, um, for most of my twenties after they had, they had passed.
0: Hmm. How did you finally let it go?
1: Mm. Yeah. So that, um, you know, that, that basically brings us to the, I guess the the second awakening of my, of my life, but it was, um, you know, I remember it so vividly. It was, uh, it was December 31st and, you know, I was, I was in my master bedroom of my five story home and, and, Um, you know, you think December 31st, it's New Year's Eve, everyone's gonna go out for a celebration, and we're gonna, we're gonna go celebrate the year. And for me, I had literally been uh, fighting this, this inner dialogue with myself for, for months. And and, in actuality, it was, it was years, you know, because from the outside, it looked like everything was perfect. Um, you know, at this point of my life, I was, I was 28. Um, I had achieved everything that anybody could, could say about traditional success. You know, I had the million dollar practice. Um, I had the, I was married at the time. I had a five story home. I had the fancy cars. I had, you know, the, the first class travel i had it all um but what i really did not know um, was, I I had no idea who I was. And so when I was looking at the mirror on December 31st, that day, that evening, I was alone by myself. I had clothes just kind of, you know, all over the place in my bedroom. Um, and I was sobbing and I was sobbing for the first time, just uncontrollably. And it was really that it hit me that, you know, for so many years of my life, I was living my life for other people. I was living my life to, you know, as, uh, growing up as a you know asian first generation american you know you're 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 trying to please other people and i was really trying to do that for my family because that was the upbringing that the dogma that i kind of you know gathered was to be happy, you need to please your elders. You need to please your family. And so, um, you know, that meant to become a doctor that meant to succeed in everything. Uh, what I did not know was how in such a rut I was, I was, I was actually in a toxic relationship. Um, And things got so dangerous that I actually needed to leave. And so that was the first time in my life that I literally packed my bags. And that would be the last day that I would actually set foot in my house um, in that life. And, you know, and, and I would I would leave. And that would be the first time in my life that I'm making this decision for myself without anybody else. Um, and you know, and, and there was so much fear around that. And there was so much fear because I, you know, I had worked so hard on the, on the external end and on the professional front. What would people think about me was obviously the first thing. Would I be judged? Um, my family didn't know my, my, my brother, my only living relative, literally he, he had no idea that I was that I was, uh, you know, going through this. And so there was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. Um, but you know, I'll tell you, it was, it was after, you know, that sort of reconciled, that was literally the best day of my life because it was, you know, it was like Neetha 2.0 was, was emerging finally for herself. And, you know, it took those years, um, kind of after in the building blocks of really self-discovery to realize, um, and, and, and rebirth, uh, to where, you know, where I am today. So, mm.
0: yeah. So you mentioned that you lost a brother and both parents before you were even 19 years old. I mean, that's, that's something incredibly tragic before the time that you're even truly an adult. And at the same time, you have the coexistence of reaching sort of the heights of success, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, how did you navigate the, the sort of grief and the success coexisting at the same time? And, it, you know, it, like, I don't imagine in my mind that there's ever a point where you're like, yeah, I'm over this, uh, something <laughs> as tragic as losing a parent. So, you know, what, I mean, how do you build the resilience to move on from something like that, especially when it happens as, as early as it does in your life? Mm.
2: Uh,
1: yeah. You know, it's, it, 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 it was a series of um, a, a lot of, of different things. And, and I'll tell you, um, you know, when, when I hit that melting point or that turning point, um, you know, that's really when I realized I, I hadn't grieved. I, I had not grieved, you know, I, I kind of took each death and each, um, you know, uh, literally bad news, um, because they, my, my, my mother passed away from, from cancer and she had a long battle with, with breast cancer, you know, from 10 years old to 16, she was in and out of the ICU. So we basically grew up, um, on her hospital bedside. And so, and, and that was really, um, really informing me of, okay, how do you deal with, um, human dynamics and my own little, uh, research mind was kind of working because I wanted to make this woman happy while she was on her deathbed. And, you know, as, 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 uh, you know, cynical as it sounds right now, that's kind of, you know, you're, you're kind of, um, you're kind of thrown into the throes of, of your own humanity of, okay, how can you lessen the pain for somebody else? But it's your mother. And, you know, a year after that, you know, I have my, my brother pass away right just, I mean, on the spot of, of, um, of an asthma attack. And so it's, it's almost as if, um, what I look, when I look back at it now, it's like, you have no choice, but you go into survival mode and you go into pure survival mode of, okay, things will get better. Things will get better. And I think I shared with you, faith was one of those things that I had. Um, you know, it was, uh, you know, from, from evangelical Christians that were reaching out to the Hare Krishna temple that was like in our area. I mean, whatever you can, um, kind of grapple onto, uh, to say, you know what, this is going to be, okay. And that was this internal, um, innate motivation that I had, uh, for my younger brother and I, because I literally became the head of the household. Um, my father fell into a depression and, um, couldn't take care of the family. I was at that point, you know, at 17 working three jobs just to support everybody, um, and try to take care of me. And so what I thought and what I valued and what I prioritized was, okay, success, success, success. So when I'm, you know, when I was hustling at, at 17 years old, trying trying to get it all done, um, myself took a backseat for about a decade, which then entering my twenties, um, I wanted to create a family that I'd lost. And that was the truth of it. You know, the, the family that I had lost, I, 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 I never even knew what my favorite color was. And I, you know, I, I look back and, uh, as I teach this to other professionals now, um, you know, I can see um, a lot of wow. We, we sometimes we just really don't pay attention to ourselves because we're so focused on either the external or um, the next steps that we lose sight of who we really, really are. And for myself, it had been layers upon layers upon layers of um, you know living life for just trying to make it to the next step, and the next step, and the next step. And where, yes, a lot of the resilience was built, um, but I I didn't grieve until it was that night of you know December thirty first um, when everything just kind of came crumbling down, and I was I was really faced with um, being in a very dangerous, toxic relationship where I had to leave. And then it took, you know, the rest of, um, you know, the the deep work of five years of, of self discovery and meditation and yoga and psychedelics and, um, you know, different modes of, of, of healing with different people around the world uh, to really, you know, come to a place of, of you know, self love and service and um, and where we are today. Mm.
0: When you lost your parents and your brother uh, so early, did it change the way that you thought about the time that you have left?
2: Mm. Yeah,
1: it was, uh, you, you, you do think about that. Um, You, you think about death in a very different way because, uh, you know, you, you think of really impermanence. Um, and that was one of the key characteristics that I learned early on was, you know, wow, we, we don't have, um, that much time. And if we don't have that much time, what can we be doing? And so for me in that world of my programming, it was, okay, um, create a lifestyle for my brother and I, uh, and you know, this was all in the traditional realms of success, but you know, for, each season of adversity or resilience that, you know, I had faced with, um, you know, my marriage and the marriage falling apart. That's really when I said, um, you know, I started taking up, you know, different types of things and really living life, you know, to the fullest, uh, because I reached, uh, you know, anything from a monetarily perspective, um, and, and being, you know, 28 and, having, you know, the, the millions and the, the fancy cars, the travel, all of those things. But what I didn't have was the fulfillment of, of myself and to really know what that was like. And so, um, which, which really set me off on a journey to, you know, travel to 40 different countries And, um, start my own research process and my own self-discovery of, of what that purpose really meant. And, uh, for me, what I found was I, I ended up interviewing close to 500 different people who were leaders in their own right, entrepreneurs. Um, you know, Fortune 500 executives to community builders, community leaders, single moms. Of you know, what is it? What makes you truly, um, you know, successful? What makes you stand out? And how do you rise above adversity? And uh, you know, out of out of all of the characteristics, it was it was resilience that really um, was the number one characteristic. And and you know, this was part research project for my own soul. (laughs) And, um, but the other half of it was really informing me of, okay, this is something, you know, our emotions aren't really talked about, um, you know, from, a, you know, I went to traditional schooling, medical school, dental school, and you're not really, you're, you're not talking about that in school. And I had gone through my own personal journey of all of these, um, tragic events and, you know, uh, from the external society standards, you still had to put a, a smile on your face. And so the idea of, you know, being able to understand your emotions, that was kind of foreign to me, um, until I kind of did this whole, you know, deep dive into what would be, um, my next project and my my next passion project of life, which is, um, you know, really understanding, um, emotional resilience and, and then writing my first book on all of the findings that I had, because then I was so curious about this. And so curious about how leaders make decisions based on their emotions and make decisions based on, um, you know, the types of relationships that they have and the types of connections that they have, good or bad. And and that, um, you know, that led me to my now second, uh, I guess you could say life, which is which is uh, my book and my work around um, emotional grit.
0: Mm -hmm. So a couple of different things uh, from this, you know, we're we're talking about external success and I am thinking about this right now uh, in particular, because I just put a post on Facebook yesterday. My next book comes out August 7th and there's this moment of, okay, here's that moment in which I get to share and, and put something on display for the world. And of course, hundreds of comments and likes. And at the same time, there's part of me that thinks, Okay, yeah, this is just one like dimension of who I am and, and what the whole story is, yeah. and I wonder, you know, from your perspective, you know, when you've got a world in which all of our lives are publicly on display, how does yeah. it alter your view of success? How do you think about it now, because you know you sort of achieved what you would call the trappings of success when we didn't live in this world where it was possible to display all of this stuff publicly, mm-hmm. and now <laughs> we do. And at moments, I, I can't help but think, okay, what we've done is simply just traded one definition of success for another,
1: right? The
0: likes. I just wonder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, the thing that, and then you know, I followed up this morning by saying, the thing is that we, despite being more connected than we've ever been, or more isolated than we've ever been, we've replaced yeah. you know, digital uh, human connections with digital ones, and as we've increased our ability to communicate at scale, we're losing our ability to communicate with depth. Uh, so true. And these things concern me. And I, you know, I'm kind of, so I'm just wondering what you have to say about all this.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, it, 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 gosh, it's, it's so true. I think that for me, um, You know, for the longest time, I was, you know, living such a lie because I was so fearful of the world. I was so fearful of, you know, putting things out and um, even showcasing any sort of vulnerability because, you know, the deep programming that I grew up with was, you know, everything's perfect on the outside there's there's nothing wrong you know even though you had a loss or two or three um everything is fine and what uh you know the that that relationship or my first marriage really taught me was laying it all out on the table and being fully vulnerable and you know i think that um it's a, it's kind of a different perspective of, of what you're actually, you know, kind of sharing, but I'm going to tie it in. Uh, but you know, it's now the way that I live my life is so, um, it's very transparent And, you know, some people say, wow, you put everything on, on social media and, and, and or Facebook or, or whatever. But, you know, my intention is not, you know, for the likes, my intention is to create that depth. And I'm very aware of, uh, you know, the loneliness and the, you know, the, the, the the, the click baits and all of those things that, you know, we have to be cognizant of, especially if you are in the realm of, of, of you know, transforming lives or, or leading others. Um, but, you know, for a very, very long time, especially throughout, you know, the, that, that tumultuous time in my life, I was so afraid of even sharing what my emotions really were. And so to go the complete opposite spectrum and share when I'm not having a good day or share how to really process an emotion or share how, um, you know, I I was going through this thing and, you know, we're in the middle of, we travel a lot, my, my, my my now husband and I, and you know, the, the different nuances of travel while you're an entrepreneur. Um, so it's not the perfect social media story, but it's real life. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm, 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 we're, I'm, currently expecting my first child. I'm six and a half months pregnant. And so, uh, it's shifted so much of now, um, the, the types of things that, that I am sharing where it's, you know, it's it's all it's all deep connections and it's all, you know, what does this actually mean and what's the deeper meaning behind it? Because I think that's that's all we have and that's what we can do to uh, really combat this whole, I should say, game game of likes that were <laughs> that, that we're in this cog of, of where that is. So I feel like deep authenticity and vulnerability are are my solutions to that. Hmm. All
0: right. So let's talk about, uh, emotional grit and resilience. The thing that seems to keep coming up in my mind, I mean, you talked about resilience with 500 plus people. I feel like I've pretty much done nothing but talking about resilience with everybody that I've ever spoken to,
1: uh, <laughs> which is, awesome. that's why I'm so excited to be on, on your show.
0: <laughs> the thing that seems to keep coming up over and over for me is that resilience gets built through traumatic experiences And it seems like that's the only way, you know, it's that whole sort of the only way, uh, out is by going through, uh, and do you find that to be the case? And how do people build a capacity for resilience when shitty things are eventually inevitably going to happen? We're all going to lose a parent at some point or another, maybe not as early as you did, but it's going to happen. Uh, and I've been trying to figure out how to make my peace with that.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a couple of, um, big points that I, I share with, with folks around this. And, and the first is, uh, you know, change is, is constant. And the sooner we accept that change is going to be inevitable that, you know, excuse me, for instance, impermanence is something where, you know, you have the, and I'm getting a little bit philosophical here and spiritual, but you, you know, you, you, you're, we're, we're not, um, we're not here for that long. And, and what was, what it was such a valuable gift for me to learn about impermanence at an early age, um, has now kind of helped steer a lot of these conversations because these conversations, uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have about death, um, or about extreme adversity and what that actually looks like. But, you know, the other aspect is also being able to, you know, to, to not take yourself so seriously, um, and humor plays a humongous role in resilience, which is why, Uh, one of the things that I I just started actually this year was playing around with that concept of play, uh, because, you know, and, you know, talking about obviously this entire journey, uh, it has always been so serious and so serious talking about, um, you know, uh, teaching people how to build resilience on, you know, uh, you know, embracing all the challenges that they've had and, and being able to bounce back, um, with, with grit and and all and tenacity and fervor and all of these things, but what about taking yourself, you know, out of the, the equation and just being able to laugh at yourself, and and maybe be able to laugh at some of the most serious things that can happen and you know, infusing humor in in that way and I, I've become so fascinated with uh with how standup comics actually utilize a lot of their their hardest life stories into you know beautiful prose and, and monologues for you know a lot of their a lot of their storytelling and I actually took a stand up class um and, and improv, um, that was kind of uh, some of the initial uh, things that I did, but I, but I actually dove in and, and took a, a stand-up class earlier this year, just so I can understand you know, some of the dynamics of how we can infuse more humor into, into the work that we're doing. Um, because I do a lot of these different workshops. Um, and so I'm constantly, you know, trying to keep up, but this was primarily to, to, actually share content in a different way. And so I created a spoof series on, um, on, you know, on, on, on the lives of entrepreneurs and, uh, coaches and consultants, people who are kind of in service and, and, um, and transformation. And so, Yeah.
0: So having had, uh, the childhood that you did, having lost your parents and now about to be a mother, uh, what impact do you think that's all going to have on the way that you're going to raise your kid?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, (laughs) the. I think I'm going to go with the philosophy of the unparent. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you how do you unparent yourself and and unparent your child? Um, because there's just so much, you know. Uh, there's there's all of these expectations and and it and it's so interesting because going through this journey of of being pregnant and um, you know creating a mini human and, and and getting ready for for that to be part of our our next life and our, our next phase of our life um in in parenting it's it's just uh it's it's really kind of changed the way that um i i view now expectations or what my desires are because I look back on wow, you know, I, I grew up so fast, um, and you know, a lot of uh, a lot of my childhood I, I didn't really have in certain ways, and so, you know, being very, very cognizant and very intentional of how I, you know, I want to have and, and guide this this little human into the world and um and so my partner and I we've had extensive talks about this because also being in the transformation space and being coaches and teachers and, and leaders yeah. and you know and 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 knowing a little bit of uh conscious, you know, development or parenting or whatever, it seems like there's another expectation that they should be meditating and doing all of these things but um when they're when they're in the womb. Uh, but I think it's really to you know to take it back a step, and um, because there's there's even all of that pressure on well, what you should be doing now while, while he's he's in the womb and in all these things. And I I think it's such a great reminder of, okay, A, is your ego getting in the way? Um, that's number one and two, what parts of your childhood, um, have not been resolved? Uh, and so that aspect has been coming up so much for, for the both of us. Um, as we navigate, you know, these kinds of challenges. And so, uh, so that's been something that, you know, we've, we've had as far as, you know, talking about things because, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all happening kind of right before our eyes and, and these are different conversations that we've never even thought of. Um, and what is it, more for us that you know that that um that that deserves a little bit more tender care and uh and you know and 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 reflection and insight yeah
0: well, the reason I always ask the question uh, to people I'm talking to was for the very reason that you brought up that you know we're talking to people who are transformational leaders, authors. So you think that okay, you know what? If I had parents who understood all this, I would have turned out completely normal. And it turns out that that is the furthest thing from the truth. Like one person said, parenting is a giant shit show. That's literally how Sarah Peck <laughs> described it to me, and I thought, okay, fair enough. And Phil McKernan, uh, another guest, said, no matter what you do, you're going to fuck your kids up. And I was like. Awesome. Great. Like this is all useful to know. Uh, But it's, it's interesting to always hear it from people who are in this world because you're right. I think the expectation, especially for so many of us who've been exposed to this, we always wonder like, wow, if my parents had actually knowing all this, maybe I would have turned out a little bit different, but then there's a part of me that says, well, I probably wouldn't have sought out this information in the first place. If my parents were like that.
1: Exactly. I don't, I don't think we would have had, you know, the, where we are today, if it wasn't based on all of the things that we had to go through. And I'm a firm believer of that a thousand percent. Um, but I, I do agree with some of your guests that, you know, they might still need therapy or some <laughs> sort of healing because uh, we might, we, we might do, you know, we might might do something un- subconsciously unconsciously and, and and being okay that that might happen, I okay. think uh that's that's the biggest part.
0: Wow. All right. So I have two more questions for you. Uh earlier in our conversation you alluded to being a dancer, you mentioned music lessons. Uh what I'm curious about is what habits, uh disciplines and mindsets you cultivated from those creative pursuits early in your life that are uh, Part of your life today,
1: mm, yes. So, uh, well, actually, it's the first. I would probably say is uh, is discipline. Um, there were, uh, you know, there were times where it was every single morning or after school you had some sort of practice, um, and you know, for these recitals or things like that, it was it was constant practice, and so uh, that was all, you know, I think that movement has always been a part of my life. And and even now the habits that I, that I have, um, being with baby, uh, in my, in my tummy, um, that has not changed. And, you know, health has always been that sort of, uh, big priority for me, obviously, because, um, of, of, um, you know, my own experiences with loss, uh, you know, where, um, you know, self-care and really having a morning routine has really been a huge part because, you know, where it's not, it's not, uh, faith related anymore, but, you know, having a meditation practice or a breathing practice, um, a gratitude, you know, exercise and journal, these are all part of my morning routine, but also bringing in and, and taking the element of movement, um, not so much dance anymore, although I still love it. Uh, but in the form of, you know, either qigong or uh, yoga or you know any sort of movement get that that gets the the you know the body the body moving. I've I've been in Europe for about seven weeks now and. I've been doing about five miles of walking a day. And so I've, I, I am very, very active. I, I used to do um, triathlons and 100-mile century bike rides. So that's movement and, and, um, and the love of exercise has always been kind of staples in my life um i think it's it's been very meditative but uh and i do get a lot of my biggest insights where you know whether it's creative um work while i'm doing like long distance things whether it's walking or biking or even swimming um and so that has been uh, that's been a gem that uh has been a big part of my life so far mm.
0: Amazing. Well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: (sighs) I definitely think it's their ability to be 100% authentic and truthful with whatever they believe, whatever they stand for, um, and whatever their stories are. Hmm.
0: Well, I think that makes a really fitting end to what has been a a very poetic and thought-provoking conversation. Where can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Oh, well, uh, you can definitely hop on the interwebs and go to neetabushan.com. It's N-E-E-T-A-B-H-U-S-H-A-N.com, or it's probably easier to go to um, School of Grit. Uh, g-r-i-t dot tv and that's where you can find a lot of our funny spoof episodes
0: awesome and for everybody listening we'll wrap the show with that thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast while you were listening were there any moments you found fascinating inspiring instructive maybe even heartwarming Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more